time, this time that we're now living, this is the time of waiting and the time of hope, the time of enduring patiently and resisting the works of darkness in the power of the one who comes, as Christ is referred to in Revelation chapter 1. As Preston mentioned, sort of welcoming us to the worship service this morning, this sort of week in the life in our calendars and our schedules is a time between two things. It's between Christmas and New Year. But of course, we here are celebrating this deeper sense in which we are living in this time between. We are living between the time of the real Christmas, which really did happen in space and in time 2,000 years ago, the first coming of Christ, and the time of the capital N, capital Y, the true new year to come one day when Christ comes again to make all things new. We're living in that time between right now, between the real Christmas and the real new year. For just as surely as he really did come in space and in time 2,000 years ago, he is sure to come again to bring a new year a new heavens, a new earth, a new, new haven, he will bring. He has made everything beautiful in its time, and he has put eternity into our hearts. Let's ask him now to put those promises ever more deeply into our hearts. Lord, we thank you for your word, and whether this is the 520th sermon we have heard in this decade or the very first sermon we are hearing in this decade, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would draw near to us now so that it wouldn't just go in one ear and out the other. It wouldn't just stay on the surface of our lives, but it would go down deep into our hearts, into our souls, into our characters, into our personalities, that your word would transform us. We pray this in the name of Christ, who has come and is surely coming again. Amen. One of those types of moments that I just want to stretch on forever are the, the privilege that, that, that you all give me as one of your pastors to prepare sermons. And usually I do it in a coffee house and just, just enjoying that, that environment and the word of God and thinking and praying and just you want these moments to go on forever and ever. And this past week in my neighborhood coffee house, I overheard this just beautiful conversation. A group of firemen came in to the coffee house. Firemen and policemen, they know where the best coffee houses are, of course. And they came into my neighborhood coffee house, and, and one of the, the firemen saw a, a, um, a young adult, and the fireman had been his babysitter, apparently, years ago and hadn't seen him in a number of years. And this young adult lives in a group home. I see him in there quite often for the developmentally disabled. And he just loved seeing his, his old babysitter, who's now a fireman. And he began talking about, um, Do you, don't you love that TV show, Chicago Fire? I watch it all the time. I love Chicago Fire. And the, and the movies, and the movies about firemen, and uh, the, the firemen, just, they love talking with him. And they, they, they said, oh, we love that stuff too. But, and this is, the, this is the exact quote. I wrote it down. I just thought, this is it. They, they said, um, yeah, but, but. They're not realistic. You need to know that. They're not realistic. In a real fire, you can't see anything. That quote. They're not realistic. In a real fire, you can't see anything. In the movies, everything is crystal clear. Everyone is just standing around talking. 
in a real fire, you can't see anything. And then they went on to say, and so all you can really do in those, in those situations is rely on your training. In a real fire, you can't see anything. All you can really do is rely on your training. The Lord gives us his word. And in particular, we're looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, written by, we, we're most likely, almost certainly, Solomon. He refers to himself as koaleph a Hebrew word that means the one that congregates the people of God. So he's called in the English translations of the preacher. And this koaleph is our guide through this smoke-filled world. He is our guide through this coming decade. He will train us. This gift from God, the training that we need to move through what is sure to be another decade full of fire and smoke, and confusion. But, as Koaleth does for us in this word, let's keep in mind that he's doing something even more profound than simply presenting himself as a guide to move through this smoke-filled world. Let's remember what he, and in fact, every one of the Old Testament writers was doing. As 1 Peter chapter 1 puts it, this Koalath was prophesying about the grace that was to be yours. He was prophesying about th that the spirit of Christ in him was, 1 Peter 1, predicting the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. I hope no one tries to move through this next decade just on their own, trusting their gut. I hope everybody moves through this decade with the wisdom that other people will give. More deeply, of course, I hope that people move through this next dec dec decade that we all do with Koalath as our guide, but most deeply of all, this gift of Christ as our guide. He is the Savior, the guide through this smoke-filled age, this smoke-filled time. So, as we look at this passage, we're going to find Christ in this passage. Let's consider then this training that Koalef gives us, that Christ himself gives us in this passage. We'll do that under five headings. Five headings. Here's the first as we go through this passage. It begins with a part of scripture that may be one of the most famous parts of scripture thanks to the birds who turned it into a song. For everything there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven. You might remember that this scripture was read during um, the last time our country had a president that was assassinated while in office, John F. Kennedy, who went to school right here in Connecticut right nearby that this passage was read at his funeral, this, these first eight verses, the time, a time for everything. Here's the guidance that our Savior gives us with this. First of all, let's remember as we move through this ne next decade, this might seem very obvious, but we so quickly forget it. Let's remember which time we are living in. Let's just remember which time we are living in. Namely, repeating ourselves here a bit, 
you will move well through this next decade if you are remembering that we are, by definition, still living in the time between. If you expect this next decade to be like heaven, you're going to be woefully dis dismayed and discouraged. If you, if you expect this next decade to have no marks of the grace and presence of God, you're going to be cynical and blind. So we move through this next decade remembering that we are living in a particular time, in God's great epoch. We're living in the time between. Again, as Auden puts it, the time being. Why do we say this? Because verse 1 describes there's a time for everything, a season for every matter under heaven. This is a reference to this current present age. This is a, essentially synonymous with the other phrase used so often through the book of Ecclesiastes, under the sun. And it's distinguishing that sort of age and epoch which we are now experiencing from the age and epoch where heaven has come to earth, where we are in heaven, above heaven, with heaven, with God. We are not yet there. This is a time where we live under heaven. We know, for example, that in heaven, in this next age, not necessarily this next decade, although who knows when Christ may come back, we know in this next great age to come that there aren't about half the things on this list. There isn't weeping. There isn't death. There isn't times for killing. And so... This wisdom that Koaleth is giving us, that Christ himself is giving us, is for this present age, this particular time, this time being. As Galatians 1 puts it, this present evil age, this meantime. For this, in the meantime, this time is a, indeed a mean time. He has made everything beautiful in its time and he has put eternity into our hearts but it can just get so confusing. So let me give you a little foothold here. I've thought of, I've, once I heard this years ago, I've, I've always remembered this. You are to consider yourself, we are to consider ourselves as spiritual amphibians. Amphibians. Do you know what an amphibian is? Like a frog or a turtle lives underwater and then also on land. I guess the word literally means dual life. The sort of creature that dwells in two different realms and can do so successfully. You're an odd being. Unlike any other being in all the universe. The angels live in eternity. The animals live in space and in time. You live in both. You're an amphibian. Life gets confusing because we are living with the real press of this daily life and with eternity in our hearts at the same time. How do we navigate that? I wish it were as simple as the way like a frog was an amphibian, born as a tadpole, just living underwater, not touching land once, and then in maturity going to land, and then not really going back in the water much. But 
we human beings right now in this very moment as we sit here on a December afternoon in 2019, about to be the 2020s, are living in a particular time and place and we're living in eternity. We're at both at the same time. It gets confusing and it can be overwhelming if we forget, ah, that's the very nature of this time. It's the time between. It's an in-between time. It's the time being. It's the meantime. And it takes great wisdom to live in this time. Why? Because sometimes it's right to break down. Sometimes it's right to build up. Sometimes it's right to weep. Sometimes it's right to laugh. And, and who's to know? Who's to know how to live well? We just need wisdom. This is a book of wisdom. It gives us wisdom. If you try to move through the confusion of this world on your own, just trusting your gut, it's not going to go very well. But with the wisdom of God's word and with Christ himself, your wisdom with you, we have a shot at actually moving through, weeping when appropriate, laughing when appropriate. I really enjoyed, I've, I've enjoyed so much these past several months getting to know George Barrow, our visiting scholar, uh, Brazilian Presbyterian pastor who will be preaching for us in the weeks to come. And uh, just one thing in particular that he said as we were just talking one day and He's, he's started a seminary, and he's pastoring pastors all around Brazil, and, and he's, he's got opportunities for preaching and teaching everywhere, and, and he just said, it is sometimes so hard to know God's will vocationally or geographically, but to know his will morally is not hard at all. <laughs> it's hard to know what he wants for us, where to live, what work to take on, that can be hard to discern sometimes, but he said there's no lack of clarity in the scriptures with regard to his moral will. And so how do you know when you're in an awkward conversation whether you ought to move forward and say a, a, a word to try to create healthy conflict or hold your tongue? How do you know? It's hard to know, but here's our great hope. We have Christ with us. And with Christ who has come, who is our wisdom, remember that he brings with him the very character of God. And now we have the fruit of the Spirit. And you might remember what it says in Galatians about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So back to what George Barra was saying, sometimes it's hard to discern God's will in terms of a particular decision to make. Speak or not speak? Break down or build up? I don't know, but here's what we always know what to do. Love, joy, patience, kindness, the rest of the fruit of the Spirit. With Christ, we can move through this smoke-filled world. That's heading number one. Here's a second heading we have in this passage. So first... Remember which time you are living in. You're living in a time between. Second, take great comfort in his decrees and his providence. I do hope, I mean, you're, you're more than welcome if this is the first sermon you've heard in the whole decade. Of course, this is part of the journey and you're here. Of course, though, I more deeply hope that we've been here together and that we heard the sermon last week about God's decrees from Psalm 2 and the comfort that we can take in knowing that God has ordered all things. The way it's put in this passage is verses 14 and 15. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. 
Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. Of course, we remember that those that came from Europe to settle this part of Connecticut named this city New Haven very intentionally, a place to find haven and rest in God. But other cities around here, of course, were given brilliant names as well. And the city of Providence, Rhode Island, named very intentionally, a sense that there really is a God who has decreed and ordered all things. We're not just randomly moving around this universe. He has a time and a place and a reason for everything. He has put eternity into our hearts. This passage points out that at the heart of the passage where it says that he has made everything beautiful in its time and he has put eternity into our hearts, the second half of that verse, verse 11, says, Yet so that he, man cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. We can't find out these decrees. We are under the sun, under heaven, apart from a relationship with the God who will reveal his will to us. All we can know is that he's put things in place and we don't know what they are. In fact, this passage ends that way. Verse 22, who can bring man to see what will be after him? The great Abbot Brothers song, no one knows what lies behind the days before the days we die. No one knows what lies behind the days before the days we die. Who can know? We, we have a sense. God has put eternity in our hearts, and so we have a sense that there is a God and a plan and an order but unless he reveals that mystery to us, we're stuck. Ah, but you see, the doctrine of God's providence is this comfort because providence understands that God has indeed revealed so much of his will that we can have confidence to move through this smoke-filled world. He has revealed the redemption of Christ. He has revealed the moral character that is beautiful and true and good and so on and so on. He has revealed plenty. We don't know the details of his second coming or the time or, 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 or when it's going to happen, but we know it's coming. And so we're not completely stuck in this wondering phase of verses 11 and 22 where who, who can know anything? We can know that God takes special care of his people. This image that Jesus uses of a mother hen gathering the chicks under his wings, under her wings. This is the special care that we can take comfort in. Don't take one step into the smoke-filled room of the 2020s without trusting that God will take care of you. So that's our second heading. We have a third heading in this text. We, we need to remember which time we're living in, the time between. We need to take comfort in his providence, in his decrees. And thirdly, let's put our hope in the most important decree of all for this present age. And we've been talking about it already. The decree that God has set in motion. Christ is coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead. 
This is what verses 16 and 17 point to. Koalath starts just describing what we, what do we mean when we say it's a smoke-filled world? What do we mean when we say it's just full of just hardships? Well, we mean this. We mean that in the place of justice, even there is wickedness. Judges on the take, corrupt. And in the place of righteousness, pastors, bishops, teachers, coaches, those we expect to be righteous, even there was wickedness. What do we do with this, the reality of the presence of sin and evil and corruption and bribery and so on and so on? Well, it's always going to be like that. Just suck it up. No, no, no. Verses 16 and 17. Christ is coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Every worldview, some explicitly, others implicitly, others haven't given thought to it, but subconsciously, every worldview has a conception of the coming judgment. I've yet to come across any other conception of the coming judgment that isn't in some respect or other terrifying and ugly. But here's what Koalath points us to. Here's what the coming of Christ has made plain. In the beautiful, profound words of one of Michael Card's songs about the coming judgment of Christ, we look into the judge's face and see our Savior there. The coming judge, it's our Savior. Who's the judge? Who's the judge? My best friend who's already forgiven me and embraced me and brought me under his wing. This is the judge. And so we move through the 2020s with putting our hope in this most important decree of all, the coming again in glory of Christ. A fourth heading. We rest in the knowledge as we move through the 2020s that they're not going to be easy. They're going to be, like all of our lives, an ongoing test. We are going to be tested. Make your peace with that. In fact, the way Hebrews makes its peace or helps us to make our peace with this is making it super plain, Hebrews chapter 12. And it uses the English equivalent of the word bastard. And it says, do you want to be a bastard child? A child with no parents. And Hebrews 12 says, it's only the abandoned child that isn't tested by their father. The presence of the testing is the, is this, the assurance of your father's love for you. There's this ongoing testing. Verse 18 puts it this way. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. Here's the way Pascal, the French philosopher, paraphrases that. In the words of the Lord, he puts it this way, if he humbles himself, I exalt him. If he exalts himself, I humble him. And so I go on contradicting him until he should learn that he is a monster that passes all understanding. If he humbles himself, I exalt him. If he exalts himself, I humble him. And so I go on contradicting him until he should see that he is a monster 
that passes all understanding. Don't try to move to the 2020s, the smoke-filled world of these, this next decade on your own. But let your Father be testing you and disciplining you and training you and showing you that you need Him. You're not a God independent of Him. You are dependent. You are not the creator. You're a creature. You're not infinite. You're contingent. This next decade will continue to remind us of that so that we will continue to come to Christ. You can tell me if you come to a particular Sunday in this coming decade where you discover, you know what, I don't need Christ on this Sunday. You're not going to come across a Sunday like that. You're going to be renewed week in and week out in this coming decade. You're going to be tested and reminded that you need him. This testing is precisely because he loves us. Listen to the great words of these, these greatly helpful words. They're classic of, that C.S. Lewis puts in his Mere Christianity. And put yourself into this next decade. And imagine that this is going to be the story. And it's good news. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he is doing. He is getting the drains right. He is stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You know that those jobs needed doing, and so you are not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. He is throwing out a new wing here. He is putting on an extra floor there. He is running up towers. He is making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace, a palace that he intends to come and live in himself. This is your life in the coming decade. It's an adventure. And so finally, this fifth bit of guidance, this training that we need. In the movies, these, it's just everything's crystal clear, but we need training because it's just smoke-filled. And this final bit of training that this passage gives us today, this morning, this afternoon, is to make your way through this smoke-filled coming decade with joy. With joy. There it is in the middle of the passage and the end of the passage. Verse 12. I perceive there is nothing better than, for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. And it's how the passage ends as well. So I saw there's nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work. For that is his lot. As the scriptures say elsewhere, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Move through this decade with joy. No one else can know this joy apart from this partnership with Christ, with the one who entered into space and time from all eternity, apart from this partnership with the one who became an amphibian for the rest of eternity for us, the eternal Son of God 
who has lived for all eternity, took on flesh at a particular time and place 2,000 years ago, a flesh that he is never getting rid of. He remains human for the rest of eternity. He remains amphibian. I don't know how you can move through this life with joy apart from this partnership with Christ himself. Why? Because he is the one that gives the deepest reason for joy. His coming wasn't just simply to take on our flesh and then just meander around. I did my time. I'm going to die a natural death and go back home. His reason for coming, his reason for taking on our flesh, his reason for moving from eternity into space and time is beautifully summarized in one of Paul's letters to Timothy where he puts it this way. God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. There's the decree. God's love for you before the ages began, and which has now been manifested, now in space and in time, through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You who once were finite and contingent have now been given, and mortal, have now been given immortality because Christ came and brought it. The fireman said, the, the movies aren't realistic. In the, in the real fire, you can't see anything. You have to trust your training. Believe me, future you, 2029 you, is not going to hate you. Future you is going to thank you. Future Christ Presbyterian Church, New Haven, is not going to hate 2019 Christ Presbyterian Church, New Haven. As we move into the 2020s, remembering that we now live in the time between, the time being, the meantime. Future you is not going to hate you as you move through this decade, taking comfort in his decrees and his providence, knowing that they endure forever. Future you is going to thank you because you're going to move through this next decade putting your hope in his coming again his great advent, when he will make all things new. Future you will be so thankful that present you rested in God's testing of you. Understood that his testing was making you the true amphibian that you need to be, preparing you for eternity, preparing you for the world to come. And future us is going to thank us that we are moving through this new decade with joy, doing good as long as we live, eating, drinking, taking pleasure in our toil, in partnership, in union, in friendship with Emmanuel, Jesus, God with us. Fleming Rutledge referred to Auden's poem, his great long Christmas oratorio, For the Time Being. Let me read for you now the way this long, Amazing poem. I don't understand nine-tenths of it, but it's all just so beautiful. 
I think I understand this last part, the way it ends. Here's how this long poem ends, for the time being, a Christmas oratorio. He is the way. Follow him through the land of unlikeness. You will see rare beasts and have unique adventures. He is the truth. Seek him in the kingdom of anxiety. You will come to a great city that has expected your return for years. He is the life. Love him in the world of the flesh. And at your marriage, all its occasions shall dance for joy. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, the life. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has put eternity in our hearts. Let's follow him. Let's seek him. Let's love him together in this decade ahead. Amen.